Hey everyone, this is Chris, and you're listening to One Chris Cross Radio. Steve in the morning, <laughs> afternoon. <laughs> and you are listening to One Cross Radio. Today I'm joined by my buddy Steve, uh, Pastor Steve Lambert. Thank you for joining us, Steve. And by joining us, I mean having us in your house. No problem. <laughs> Uh, so Steve is, uh, has been one of my best friends for a number of years. We go back, what, like a long time, seven years, something like that. Seven, something like that. Yeah. Um, we've been in each other's weddings. We've bonded over our comics and faith. And Steve is a guy who I've had the pleasure of knowing and growing in the Lord with. Um, Steve was actually one of the first guys I was going to try to interview for (laughs) the chat with series. Um, and just as a snippet into the life of a busy pastor, I emailed Steve questions, what, like two years ago? like two years ago, yeah. I, f- I found them the other day and I was like, oh yeah, these <laughs> are still at the bottom of my inbox. <laughs> yeah, we've been trying to get this together for a while, so we are finally actually doing the, uh, the a chat with, with Steve, which I'm very excited about. Um, yeah, so we're, we're just going to get right into it. So, Steve, buddy, uh, could you share a bit with us about your testimony? Sure. Um... So I was born uh, to a Christian family. My parents uh, both grew up Christians, and uh, they uh, were both planning to be missionaries uh, before I was born. And, and so we went to Kenya for a little bit before I remember that, and uh, ended up coming back after about a year because my parents got sick. But just sort of grew up in that atmosphere, going to church and learning about Christ. And uh, I remember, well, I can't remember not believing in Jesus, um, but I remember being about five or four even maybe in you know, praying the prayer that you that you're supposed to pray and asking Jesus to be my savior and those kinds of things. Um, and I remember growing up uh, just completely surrounded by that. Um, but I remember getting to about grade nine, and my Sunday school teacher asked us to write down on a like an index card the reason that we believed in God. And I couldn't think of an answer. I, all, the only thing, answer I could think of, and what I actually ended up writing down was because my parents told me to. Um, which I was really glad that they were anonymous and kind of handed them in and shuffled them up and read other people's answers. And that kind of started me on a journey in high school of like, why do I believe this? And, and I, yeah. I believe that I was truly a Christian because I never really doubted that it was true. I just didn't know why I believed it and what it meant for my life. It, the faith hadn't become your own yet. Yeah, yeah, as they say. So, yeah, so I, I kind of struggled through that and still got, went to youth group and, um, and church and tried to read my Bible. Um, went to camp a bunch of years. We lived in the States at this point and I went to a camp called Lamoca Lake Baptist Camp in uh, Tyrone, New York. The lake has nothing to do with coffee. That was just the name of the lake. And uh, yeah, so I went there a few years and every year you make the camp decision uh, and it would last like a week. And then when I was summer after grade 10... Uh, God really got a hold of my heart at camp and, and I, uh, he really, I really felt him sort of saying, okay, you need to take this seriously now. Um, and, uh, and I think coupled with that was, I really found a really good youth group at that time, which I started going to because I met a girl in my English class that I liked who went to that, that youth group. Uh, so I started going to that youth group, but the youth pastor there, uh, pastor Phil Kaufman, really took me under his wing and worked in me and got me to do my devotions. And I had a Christian community really for the first time that really helped me to, to grow in that stuff. Um, and that's sort of, I think when my, um, when I really started to love Jesus and and grow in that for myself. And it's interesting that you brought up that community piece because something we've talked about, heck, Mm -hmm. something we've experienced, like how much of this isn't a, a lone 
like you just do this by yourself off to the side like your faith is flourished in community it's shown in scripture and in practicality like living through it yeah for sure for sure and you need you need those people to encourage you and to call you out and and just to do stupid stuff with have fun too right like that's that's all part <laughs> of it slide down some stairs yeah. like play some punch ball punch ball sting pong in the church <laughs> a lot of sting pong <laughs> a lot of sting pong <laughs> Um, so when I got to know you, you were already, uh, the youth pastor at the church. So how did, how did that process happen? When did you kind of feel your call and how did you know it's not one of those like, oh, I think I should go into ministry. Yeah. Something more. Yeah. Well, I left this out of my previous question because I knew this was coming up, but (laughs) that summer at camp when I sort of felt God really started working in my life really strongly. Part of that was I just had this idea kind of pop into my head for the first time out of seemingly nowhere. I should be a youth pastor. And that was sort of where it started. Um, But then it was really when I was working in that youth group um, at the church in New York at Tabernacle Baptist Church. um, That's I uh, really sort of started to understand how ministry worked. And and, um, my youth pastor, as I sort of grew up uh, through youth group, when I was in grade 11, grade 12, he got me to work with some of the younger guys, mm-hmm. got me to teach. He actually got me involved in a, a almost like a American Idol type ministry talent show <laughs> uh, called Teens Involved that Word of Life in the States runs. It's like a you you do some kind of, whether it's like a solo or a puppet show or writing a tract or preaching for your church, you have to do it at your church and then you can come to this contest and they judge you on it. And I did, I did well at it. Um, I ended up advancing on to the final stage, but then that involved going to their camp, which I didn't do. Um, and so, yeah, just, there's a lot of, a lot of the encouragement and work of my youth pastor. Um, and then I, I went to Bible college and, uh, grew and learned in there and then got a job. And you, you've gone to a couple different Bible colleges, right? Like you, you're at Heritage now? Yeah. So I'm doing my, uh, master's degree, master's of divinity part-time, uh, hopefully we'll be done this spring. I've been working on that since 2012. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, for the past five years. And my church has been really great to let me have some time and to pay for me to do that, which is really wonderful. Um, so I'm, I'll have my master's degree done, God willing, uh, this spring, and I'll graduate. Um, and then I did my undergraduate at a school that's called Baptist Bible College. Uh, it's not called that anymore, actually. They changed their name recently to Clark Summit University. It's that's in, quite a difference. Yeah, well, they found they found that um, people that were graduating from there that wanted to be missionaries, some of their opportunities were closed because the school's name was so on the nose for Christian stuff. Right. Um, so they wanted to do something a little bit more generic that wouldn't look so bad for people that are trying to be missionaries. So yeah, they're in Clark Summit, Pennsylvania, which is like 10 minutes from Scranton, if you watch The Office. Oh, yeah, I do. So I, it's not an exciting town, by the way. Um, yeah, so I went. I did my undergraduate there. Uh and got a here you would have gotten a bachelor of theology but in the states they do it differently i got a bachelor of science in bible and youth ministry (laughs) yeah and they don't even call a bachelor of science a bsc there so i have a bs in bible that's my degree (laughs) (laughs) that's just unfortunate (laughs) yeah that's what my diploma says um all right, so you've you've kind of grown up in the the Baptist denomination. No. Okay. Yeah. So this leads into the next question. Like, the Baptists have like what? My sarcastic answer is thirty seven subdivisions. <laughs> yeah, maybe. <laughs> like, it's not just us though. But yeah. Uh, what what's your kind of your feel? How do you feel about denominations? Or yeah, yeah. Um. So my family moved around a lot as a kid. Um. 
because of my dad's job. So we lived in a bunch of different countries um, and sort of wherever we went, uh, we just sort of went to different kinds of churches as mm -hmm. long as they were, you know, gospel churches that believe the Bible and those kinds of things. Uh, I would say evangelical, except that word's a little bit dangerous right now because <laughs> of some of the political stuff in the States, but um, you know what I mean by that. Yeah, um, yeah. So I actually grew up, I went to an Anglican church for a while. I went to a couple different kinds of Presbyterian churches. Uh, I went to AGC, uh, which is yeah, yeah. Calvary, <laughs> the gospel churches. And uh, yeah, and I, I hadn't really gone to a Baptist church until I went to this camp uh, in the States and then the youth group um, right. there. So um, I think denominations are, they're a weird thing because... Um, what happens is that some of the things in the Bible are very specifically clear. Mm -hmm. And even those things, people have split over and decided, you know, um, we need to believe different things about these. Other things in the Bible are less specifically clear, like... That gray. <laughs> yeah, like baptism and how to govern your church. And a lot of it, a lot of it comes down to those two things. What you believe about baptism and how you govern your church. Um, and so in that sense, you cannot have a church that baptizes both adults and children because the, the beliefs are pretty fundamentally different about the nature of baptism. And you can't have a church that's run by voting by the congregation and by a bishop, right? Mm -hmm. it just those two things don't work together. Like they're kind of at odds. So you have to do one or the other and that's sort of where the denominations come from. Now, I mean, that's like the difference between a Presbyterian and a Baptist are, are basically those two things. But even within the Baptist churches and then within the Presbyterian churches, there are splits over... Do you believe the Bible is the inerrant word of God? Okay, mm -hmm. well then, th those are more important splits. Yeah. And, you know, the Baptist churches in the States, um, there's the American Baptist, which used to be called the Northern Baptist, and then there's the Southern Baptist. They split over slavery. And right. then there's there's another um, denomination that's, I don't, know, don't remember their name, um, that, that are mostly, but predominantly African Americans. They split also after slavery was over from the Southern Baptists, who at the time were, you know, their slave owners, and then when they were free, they didn't want to go to church with them. So the three major Baptist denominations in the States all split over the issue of slavery. Mm -hmm. And I think that's true over the Methodists and Wesleyans as well. Um, so, I mean, there's just so much history behind it, but um, some of it's unfortunate, and you wish that those kind of things could be uh, reconciled over time. Um, some of it's a little bit more important, like, do you believe Jesus is the Son of God who died and rose again? Yeah. And is the Bible true, and do you need to believe it? And some of it's just practical. Like, yeah. we need to be able to decide and make a decision on how to run our church. And so mm -hmm. we're not going to be able to do both. Yeah. It's like, the <clears throat> main reason I, I asked is just it's just having some conversations with someone. And uh, at my church of St. Clair, we had kind of a meet and greet. And someone was like, so what does the AGC believe? Just because I look at this, I look at this, and you can believe all this. And the, the AGC is lesser known. Yeah. So then he was then asking questions about other denominations, and at one point he was like, "Is there a point to all of these?" Yeah. Where I'm like, "Yes." Yeah. But we can split hairs too much over it, so I'm like, "I." Yeah. You, and, you've had some good answers in private conversation. I'm like, let let's hash this out a bit. Yeah, and it's 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 interesting because the AGC um, isn't that different from so my church is part of something called the Fellowship of Evangelical Baptist yes, Churches in Canada that's the one. we call it the FEB for short because that's a mouthful um, <laughs> so the AGC the Associate Gospel Churches and the FEB have talked about actually joining mm -hmm. recently um, but the, the only things that are really different about the AGC and the FEB 
are two things. One is that the Feb requires, if you're going to be a member of our churches, you have to be baptized by immersion, by dunking. Yeah. The AGC doesn't require that. No. And the AGC requires that if you're going to be a member of the churches, or at least a pastor of the churches, you have to believe your end times eschatology stuff. You have to believe in what's something called premillennialism. Yeah. That there's a millennium after when Jesus returns. And the Feb doesn't take a stand on that. You can mm-hmm. kind of believe whichever end you want to and be part of the churches. And both sides have said, okay, but we're not willing to give this one thing up. Yeah. Baptism, the membership, premillennialism. And so they can't get together because of these two really, it's not super important issues. No, no. And the AGC, I like, heck, I've grown up in it. I've been a member. Like, I was baptized. And there is an emphasis and an encouragement on baptism. Yeah. But it's not like there hasn't been a, you must have been baptized to be a member. So, yeah. No, that's true. Yeah. And I think for the Baptists, again, in Ontario, the other big one is the Canadian Baptist of Ontario and Quebec, the CBOQ. BCOQ? CBOQ. Anyway, I don't know. They changed their name at one point. That gets confusing. But... <laughs> trying to think of the... They, uh... <laughs> they, are, they don't take a stand as much on uh, women in ministry as the Feb Baptists do. Uh, and now they're having some issues with um, the homosexuality thing. Like there's a, a BCOQ church around here that just ordained a, a gay minister. Okay. And so I think that, you know, we're going to see some shifts between the two denominations soon because there are some more conservative um, BCO or CBOQ guys that are thinking about maybe switching over the Feb and I don't know it's, it's kind of messy right with yeah. that kind of political stuff and where do we stand on what the Bible says about these things and all that kind of stuff that's where we're, oh, we got a lot of prayer to do with yeah that. for sure yeah sure. Um, <clears throat> alright so thank you for that no and then problem. up until uh, actually when we started this I said up until recently but uh, over the last couple of years (laughs) (laughs) two uh, years ago it was recent two two years ago it was recent Uh, up until uh, two years ago you have transitioned from being the youth pastor of Forward Baptist to you're now the uh, the head teaching pastor right something like that uh the official title. Head I'll, teaching I'll, pastor, I'll, I'll something like that. Yeah, ask a question. I'll explain <laughs> it. Uh, how do you determine what to uh, share and preach with sure. your congregation? And what were some of your experiences as a person in youth ministry like as well? Because you had a number of years Just of experience. Generally, what in, were some of my experiences? In, in, in general. Uh, okay. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, my role at the church is actually... Uh, my official title is Pastor of Teaching and Discipleship. Awesome. Um, and so... I I am what, in a lot of ways, what is generally called a senior pastor, except for one thing. I'm not the sort of in-charge pastor. I work with another guy named Aaron, uh, and he's the pastor of community engagement. So he does a lot of things that would typically be like an associate pastor role, except for when it comes to who's in charge, we kind of try to do that together, along with, we have some elders at our church as well. Nice. Um, so that we we co-pastor uh he actually was a youth pastor at forward before i was the youth pastor at forward so it's kind of a, a pretty cool and unique situation um so my my main role um is teaching um, and discipleship as my title suggests um and so i do most of but not all of the preaching and i i put together the preaching schedule and mm-hmm. kind of those kinds of things um my uh philosophy on preaching really determines a lot of the answer to your question I'm uh, very strongly committed to expository preaching which is the idea of my job as a preacher is not to come up with cool ideas and then find a Bible passage that matches it my job as a preacher is to preach through books of the Bible um, and show my people what God's word says to their life through the Bible so 
most of the time what I do is I alternate between Old Testament and New Testament books mm-hmm. and um, just preach them. And so, like, we're doing First Thessalonians right now. Um, last spring, uh, we were doing, we did a series on the minor prophets. So we did, like, I remember listening Haggai to and yeah. Zephaniah and, you know, stuff that nobody knows about, right? <laughs> uh, which is great. It was hard because I didn't, I had to learn a lot about it, but people from the church really enjoyed learning about it and I think it was challenging for us. Um, and I think if you don't, if you just say, okay, I want to do a series on community and now I'm going to do a series on authentic faith and now I'm going to do a series on evangelism, you just pick the things that you want to talk about and you miss wide sections of the Bible because you're not going to choose to preach on Ezekiel, right? Yeah. Um, and and I think we we have a shallow understanding of who God is when we do that and we don't lift up the Bible to the place that it should be in our lives when we do that. So I spend a few weeks every year doing some topical stuff. We take a break for like Advent and, and those mm-hmm. kind of things. We have a missions conference, uh, you know, because a couple of things like that we take a break for. But generally I just, I, I say, okay, we're going to preach New Testament now because we preached Old Testament last time. What's a part of the New Testament that we haven't done in a while, maybe that I don't know very well and want to yeah. get to know better? Or if there's something that's specifically happening in the church, I'm like, okay, you know what? I think James speaks to this. I haven't done that yet, but that's a, just an example. Yeah. And then go to the Old Testament and do the same. Nice. And that's basically what we do. I work with the elders and with Aaron to kind of ask what they think and get some feedback and input, but that's generally what we do. Awesome. Oh, and then youth pastor stuff. Yeah, yeah. What were some of your youth pastoring experiences? Um, it's really different uh, than being a pastor for, like, I don't know, what do you want to call it? A grown-up pastor or whatever. <laughs> uh, you have this different role as a youth pastor where um, you're kind of simultaneously, especially when you're a younger guy. I started when I was 22. You're like a friend and an older brother and but you have this authority that you don't have when you're with adults because you're, the parents have entrusted you with the safety of their children to get them home and teach them about Jesus and straighten their lives out, which you don't really have the ability to do uh, without God's help and, and those kinds of things. So you're really able to say like, hey, shut up, I'm talking, you know, when, when you're teaching and they're talking over you, which you can't do with adults, like that kind of stuff, right? Uh, it's just a very different kind of thing. You have the ability to... Um, voluntold people to pray right like <laughs> voluntel I don't know yeah. whereas you can't do that with adults they just won't accept that right yeah. so it's a very different experience it's generally a lot funnier being a youth pastor I've got so many so many funny stories like one time we were at Wonderland and we went on the behemoth together uh, it was, I think it was me and like three junior high girls like grade 8 girls went, went on the behemoth because they needed a, a fourth person one of their friends backed out and uh, and uh we got out and there's a gift shop at the end and there's like this shelf right at waist height with a bunch of shot glasses on it and one of the girls had like a grade 8 girl backpack which was like you know three feet long like just yeah. big and she turns around and her backpack just sweeps all the shot glasses <laughs> off the shelf and just like every single one of them broke oh, and so she's like on the verge of tears and one of the pieces of glass had bounced off the floor and nicked her friend's leg and so her friend's just bleeding in like a little bit but like you made me bleed and like the other friend's like about to cry it's just awesome thankfully the people <laughs> didn't make us pay for it because they were you know like eight dollars each or whatever but yeah, yeah. so just that, a lot of fun experiences stuff at Wonderland adds up <laughs> yeah awesome so and just yeah a good opportunity to get to know people and and I, I got to do a wedding for one of my teams uh, this past summer. And just, like, I spent so much time with that that girl. 
uh, she was actually the one complaining about bleeding <laughs> in that story. Uh, and it just, it just meant so much, right? You just, you spend a lot and, and, and you do that as a pastor too, but it's a different experience with youth. And, yeah. Yeah. You get to see them grow up and, and become awesome people. So yeah, most of the time, hopefully <laughs> fingers crossed prayers up. Yeah. <laughs> um, awesome, man. And then it's stuff we talk about a lot. Um, who are some pastors or authors or theologians <laughs> that you learn from that you'd recommend? Yeah, um, so I really like Don Carson. Um, he's pretty cerebral, very heady, uh, good stuff though. Uh, he, he, uh, I found uh, a bunch of lectures that he preached back in the 90s, taught back in the 90s at a university on Revelation, and I've really been enjoying those. Sound quality kind of sucks on some of the episodes of it. And, yeah. Um, it, again, it's very sort of like high-level university stuff, but it's uh, it's a great... I've really been enjoying those. Um, he and another pastor from the state, so Don Carson is actually Canadian, another guy named Tim Keller, who's who is a pa- yeah, pastor of a Presbyterian church in, actually he just retired. But T. Kells retired? Yeah, he's still doing stuff with his church planting stuff, but oh, he's okay. not the pastor there anymore. Is he still doing the, like, showing up at T4G, essentially? Uh, he's never been to T4G, but the Gospel Coalition. Oh. So he, he and Don Carson, Tim Keller and Don Carson, started the Gospel Coalition together. That's um, And so I, like, Anything you can read by Tim Keller's is Tim Keller is so practical and theologically good and helpful and mostly like very very easy to read. Um, he's very smart and and his whole thing was he planted this church in New York City, um, so he was always really good at kind of explaining stuff and illustrating why it's true for skeptics. Mm-hmm. Um, so his stuff's really good. And then anything I I go on the Gospel Coalition um, blog most days and check out what's on there. Um, and then there's a Gospel Coalition Canada blog now um, that I check out uh, as well. And they have really helpful stuff. Tim Challies, um, his blog is really good. Um, he's another Canadian guy who used to be a pastor, but now quit so that he could just do this blog full-time. And he's he's got some really great stuff. Um, other pastors that I really like, um, John Piper, obviously. Uh, his stuff is great. Jay um, Pipes. Jay Pipes. And uh, Matt Chandler, Kevin DeYoung, David Platt. Um, all their stuff has a big impact on me. Um, yeah. Awesome. Yeah. We, like, I know with us, we have a lot of the same guys. Um, Francis Chan as well. Cause we went Oh yeah. To, Francis we, Chan, I, I haven't listened or read to his stuff in a while. Um, I don't, cause I, he was at a big church that had a podcast and then he wasn't anymore. So I don't no, know how to no. hear from him anymore. But, but he's still, uh, so... For anybody listening who's like, hey, I want to listen to some Fran Chan, Fran Chan the man. Uh, Fran, the man can, Chan. <laughs> Fran the man Chan. Fran the man uh, Fran Chan. You can Fran. find, he, I think he's got two podcasts with stuff up. One's oh, really? an audio sermon a series on, uh, it's on Podbean as well. Um, which, is that what this is on? This Podbean? is what, yeah, we are on Podbean. All the best quality podcasts. Aw, <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, and he's also, they also have a mini, like, shorter podcast one where I think it's out of chapters of Crazy Love. Okay. Which was that the one we went through together? Was it Crazy yeah. Love? Okay, Crazy Love's great. Yeah, yeah I can yeah. remember was... if we went through Racing Hell together or not because that one was great too. Yeah, I don't think so. I think I just read that myself. But... No, I, I yeah, I read it myself as well. I just got him confused. I believe you. It happens often. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean I believe that you read it. Is what I meant. <laughs> okay. I was like, I, you could definitely believe I'm confused. This happened how many times today? Yeah, lots of times. Oh yeah. Um, <laughs> moving on. So, this one kind of harks back to an earlier question, but um, 
what would you say is important about mode of government within the church? <laughs> like, yeah. if someone if someone who hasn't grown up in the church, who has no idea, like, walk us through that. Yeah. Um, okay, so the Bible has some things that are very specific about this kind of stuff, and a lot of things that aren't so specific about this kind of stuff. Yeah. So, um, specific things are that... God has put out um, two offices for the church. There's elders and there's deacons. There's Sometimes people disagree about that. And they say that there's also bishops and, and pastors. But actually, if you look at some of these passages like First Peter uh, 5 and Acts 20, the word pastor, which just means shepherd, um, and bishop, which means overseer, and elder, which means someone who's mature and older, they're used basically interchangeably, like within verses of each other, to refer to the same group of people. Okay. So I, I see Baptists or sorry, Baptists, bishops, pastors, and elders as one thing, um, and then deacons, which is a word that just means servants, mm-hmm. as another another thing. And um, God's given for the for Christ's church authority for leadership and responsibility for shepherding the people and overseeing to this group called elders, um, and then this other role of deacons is a role of kind of um, physically getting stuff done for the church so whether that's finances or however that works out for your church right right the bible doesn't really spell out specifically how that mm-hmm. plays out um, and so every church do- kind of does it a little differently um, whether that's one pastor and then a bunch of deacons mm-hmm. or whether that's um, a pastor and elders and deacons or whether that's a bishop over a few pastors and their elders and, and then deacons or a church that just has elders and doesn't really have deacons because they just think people should just serve in the church. It's like, it's not something that's been spelled out. Yeah. Like there's no like chapter in first Timothy that says, you know, here's the flow chart of authority in the church. Right. Um, and then, and then the other aspect of that is um, the Bible has made it clear that the church is a body, right? Mm-hmm. That each of us is important. We each have a role. Um, first, First Peter talks about how we're all priests in God's kingdom. Or, and, and so there isn't like uh, in the Jewish times or even like the Roman Catholics would do where you have a priest who stands between us and God uh, and we have to go to him. But that we're all priests. We all have access to God through Christ. Mm-hmm. Um, and so each of us has a role to play in the church. Uh, we each have gifts to use. But then also um, uh, some denominations, Baptists in, in particular, say that the, the congregation has authority uh, in certain matters to um, to make decisions and so they they need to to vote on that yeah um, so not every church does that and I, and I I think it's the right way to do it but it's not one of those hills that I'm willing to yeah. die on um, and, and again it's not like a democracy voting it's it's really as I understand it the elders make a, a recommendation to the church on something and the, the people have to search God's word and pray and try to do God's will, not just say, well, I'm going to vote what I want to do, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and and we're, what we're looking for is not to get my way, but to see God's will done as we seek him as, as his people. Um, so I, and I think that's one of the reasons that I'm okay with, with denominations being different because the Bible doesn't say, here's how you must run your church specifically. Mm-hmm. And so there's room for difference of opinion, difference of uh, conviction, so people do it differently and that's practically they need to be in different churches because you can't do both but it doesn't make us that different from each other yeah 
And I love how you said that. And I'm like, that's a difference. It can be a beautiful thing. And it can be an okay thing. Yeah. Let's not take well, difference and, <laughs> necessarily and the, away. The funny thing is, when you think about it, some people would say, like, it's got to be by the congregation voting. That idea kind of came about when democracy started to come about, right? Mm -hmm. And before that, when there was, you know, the government had been controlled by um, oligarchs or, like, small... Uh, rich people then elder rule was very popular and when there was absolute kings then bishop rule and when you know the pope those were kind of the popular ways so like the church government structure has kind of changed as world government has changed too to reflect kind of what was going on at the time so I think you need to take that all with a grain of salt and do your best well and heck I'm thinking like if I'm like I'm a congregation member I've been a congregation member if I'm just voting and it's like the direction, am I going to want, am I going to vote for stuff that's going to challenge me, grow me? Yeah. And any of the fine-tuned, sanctifying, pruning process that happens and should be happening through church and all that? Does your church vote on stuff? Uh, St. Clair, I'm not as sure yet just because I've only been there for the handful of months. Yeah. I know with Calvary, um, when we did votes... It was more so on, hey, a new pastor's coming in. We want to see where, like, where sure. we're at. Or we had that annual general meeting once a year, and it would be we'd be voting on elders if they would take on sure. another term or if budget be stuff, budget stuff, yeah, that yeah. kind of thing. That's Not cool. really direction. Yeah, no, I don't think the church should be voting on direction. Because um, if it was on direction, we'd want all the easy peasy yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And let's go worldly. Just because yeah. it's a lot easier. Yeah, no, I think that the direction should be set by the elders. Mm -hmm. But even with that, right, if the elders set a direction and no one's willing to follow, even without a vote, you you know, the church obviously has some input into that kind yeah. of stuff. Yeah. Like, I, within reason, like, finding that within reason part. Yeah, I mean, hopefully they're, hopefully the congregation is trying to follow God and the elders are trying to follow God. Yeah. And, and then it all works out. But if, you know, one of the parties isn't, it makes it a much, much more messy. Very much so. And I think that's the reason that Baptists, like, probably AGC likes congregational voting because mm -hmm. it kind of spreads that responsibility out. Yeah. So, anyway. Awesome. So then... Thrilling talks on church government. <laughs> I think that's the longest conversation I've ever been in on church it's government. not the longest conversation I've been in on church government. No, well, I can't... I can imagine that. I've had long meetings about it. <laughs> <clears throat> um, Alright, so then... What would you say is a difficulty faced by the church today? Is it church government? <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, I think I think the biggest difficulty faced by the church today is, um, and I don't mean this in one particular direction, I mean this in every direction, the church uh, wants to be like culture too much. Mm. Um, and so I think the big one of the big problems that you see, especially in the, the U.S., right now in the southern U.S. and the Bible Belt is um, they're very uncomfortable with the way culture has gone and so they're trying to get power back and so they're willing to vote for well, here we go getting controversial here, but someone like Trump who yeah. is a, a man who does not represent Christian morals but he represents Republican values in some areas and so they're willing to vote for him to avoid Hillary Clinton and all that stuff yada yada yada. Like and that's that's a negative thing. But on the other hand, that a lot of churches, a lot of people, including myself, who uh, we want to be like 
you know, we want an easy life, right? We want to blend in to those around us. We're whips when it comes to sharing the gospel. We're, we're um, whips when it comes to saying no to sin. We're blinded by our cultural way of doing things. And so we are worldly. We are, um, we watch and listen to things that are dishonoring to God because we want to. We don't want to say no to those kind of things. We, we're addicted to porn. We're, um, you know, mean people like that i mean i don't think that's just today that's just sort of the way the world and christianity and, and people have always been yeah um so i think that's that's probably the the biggest thing is um we let the world influence us too much mm-hmm. um and and with that comes a lot of hard questions like what are we going to do about where are we going to stand on homosexuality right mm-hmm. that's sort of the and gender issues that those are sort of the big questions of our day um yeah, and that, like even those stuff right there, that could be a whole at least three hour, three hour thing on those two and the Trump bit. I don't even know that could be yeah, like twelve I don't, hours. I don't really want to talk anymore about politics. No, but, no, we're not. I'm not trying to get into politics. Yeah. There's too much of that. I have more important things to talk about than American politics. Oh not, yeah, not even there. <laughs> so I'll I'll say like you're one of the few pastors that that I know of, anyways who has made a point of addressing the call of singleness in both personal conversations and from the pulpit. Yeah. So walk, oh, share why you do this, man, because I think it's awesome. Yeah. I. Uh, well, I, I don't think I can take credit for that. I um, I was preaching through First Peter back when I was a youth pastor, which meant I, you know, took me like eight years to get through it or whatever because I'd <laughs> preach once, three times a year or something like that. Yeah. And I got to the part in First Peter that talked about wives and husbands um, and afterwards, one of my youth, um, kind of challenged me and said, uh, you know, you kind of talked about singleness, like it was a holding cell for people to get married, but not everyone's going to get married. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I just think you did a disservice there to, um, single people or whatever. And so I took that to heart because I think she was, it was a really good rebuke, um, so I did some research and, and thought about it and uh, uh, read some stuff. And the next time I preached, I kind of took a break from First Peter and talked about singleness, uh, mostly I think from First Corinthians uh, seven and also from a few other places. Um, so yeah, some of some of the things that really helped me with that is uh, John Piper wrote a book called um, This Momentary Marriage: A Parable of Permanence. <laughs> because that's just sort of a John Piperish title, eh? But he has a couple chapters in there on singleness, uh, which all that stuff you can find on Desiring God, his website. Uh, it was just really, really good. Um, and I really, uh, really appreciated his perspective on, um, you know, on singleness and on, on how God can use single people and how there's... Um, an ability that single people have to honor God through, you know, sometimes people, they want to have children and can't have children as a single person, you know, who's trying to live for God. And that really is, uh, hurtful and disturbing to them. But, um, Piper talks about a passage in Isaiah where he talks about having, giving eunuchs, uh, a lineage or an inheritance better than children or something like that. I don't mm-hmm. know exactly what it was, but the idea of, yeah. um, you have this ability to have spiritual children. And, and I've seen that in single people in our church, that they've taken 
people under their wings and, and been sort of spiritual parents. So that's yeah. been really cool. So, I mean, I, I think, uh, yeah, anything that I've said about singleness has been through being challenged and being influenced by other people. And it's really cool. I preached that sermon and a lady uh, who was single, who's, you know, a little older, had been going to a church that was very family centered, which is a good thing mostly, but she just felt out of place there and she just showed up to our church that Sunday randomly and heard a sermon on singleness and has been coming ever since. It was cool. Yeah. Yeah. So she's been a a great part of our church. So, uh, yeah. Praise God for that. Yeah. Praise God indeed for that. And did I answer your question? Yes. Yes, you did. And the reason I like, I love that you did it just because so many times I've seen from churches or you've talked to people from churches where it's just like, it's the attitude of it's the cage till you're married or there's such a focus on, well, we got to get you married and you got to have kids right yeah, away and yeah. all that. Well, and, and I think that's really important too it because is, but... some people are just never going to get married, which is fine and, and good. Uh, but and so importantly is if, if we're going to talk about uh, the issue of homosexuality from a biblical perspective, we need to make it clear that romance and sexual lifestyle isn't the most important thing in the world, right? Mm-hmm. And, because we're asking people if you're if you're homosexual. Uh, homosexually oriented you're attracted to people of the same gender as you um, but you love Christ that your identity is a Christian mm-hmm. not a, not a sexual romantic person first mm-hmm. and so you have to submit every other aspect of you to Jesus which is going to mean living a celibate single lifestyle and and if we're just emphasizing family and marriage all the time um, we're really doing a disservice and being hypocritical mm-hmm. uh, in that way and um you can be a fulfilled, happy person and never have sex. Yeah. And I think that's a message that our world does not understand. And the church has kind of forgotten too. Mm-hmm. Jesus was single his whole life and was the most fulfilled, fully human person who ever lived. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So that's yeah. important. It is. Thank you. Uh, kind of piggybacking off of that, and you kind of touched on it, um, you also do take great care in explaining marriage roles and gender roles and sexuality when you when you preach on them yeah so why are these so important to you i know you just touched on it but yeah yeah um i think they're important to me because the bible says they're important and we try to explain them away mm-hmm. um when it comes to gender roles uh yeah I, I i would consider myself what most people call a complementarian um, maybe some people will call patriarchal Um, but I I think the idea of of God's given men a responsibility of leadership in the household in the family and in the church Mm -hmm. which isn't a a putting women down um, it's it's just laying a heavy burden a heavy responsibility on men to step up and lead and to disciple their their wives and children and to um, to work with them and to lead in the church and that that women should not be pastors or elders although I do believe they can be deacons mm-hmm. and and that's uh, yeah that's something that you have to figure out in your marriage too um, and I think the Bible makes that clear and I think and I think there are arguments that can be made by people who do take the Bible seriously that would argue the other direction and I, I respect that um, but I as, as I can see it the Bible is quite clear about this it's not as high as I would say you know what the Bible says about the gospel or what the Bible would say about homosexuality mm-hmm. you know it's not like a people go to hell if they get this one wrong no. type thing um, but yeah it's, it's important and it's in mm-hmm. there and uh, 
And I think sexuality, um, man, it's just a topic that people want to know about. People are concerned about that our world has gotten so messed up and screwed up. I, I preached a sermon at camp. I think you listened to. Yeah. Uh, I did a, I, I'm involved in a young adults camp uh, in August every year. And I did a sermon on, on sex uh, where I was pretty frank um, with a bunch of young adults and teenagers. And they really took something away from it like it was mm-hmm. it was a God really worked through that and I was really thankful um, just I preached from Leviticus 18 you know just about <laughs> sexuality and, uh, yeah like we don't talk about this stuff frankly right we, no. this, we give people this perception that if you wait until marriage then you'll have mind-blowing sex forever and it's worth the wait um, which isn't true and it's not a fair thing to, to tell people because sex is difficult and it's yeah it's relationship building and god designed it to be a way for people to a man and a wife to be bound together mm-hmm. forever through that struggle and that frustration and we need to talk about those kinds of yeah. things and why why it's important to wait mm-hmm. um, the way that that sex is designed to bind us together and not just to be a recreational activity and how family is involved in that but doesn't always involve in that um like those are those are hard topics that we just don't talk about, and we're we're not being fair to the younger generations by being too squeamish to talk about these things. And like I'll, I'll say, I think one of the reasons I love it when I I saw you do that and be frank, and for me in my younger years, like a guy like Driscoll doing that, like that helped me so much because I was so <laughs> dialed in to to porn and stuff where I'm like, if a pastor is afraid to say something like he'll blush and he can't even say the term like how much can I actually get out of that yeah. but then I love the fact that you talked about it just because if we're not talking about it and it is like that where suddenly it's like there's this whole switch of for years you're just told don't do it or like if you do it you're filthy you're a sinner and then yeah. suddenly it's like magically alright that mindset like take away that mindset it's all gravy now it's all good like yeah. that hard to reconcile as a person yeah yeah what is it about this marriage act that all of a sudden makes it okay like yeah that's, that's i remember becky and i wrestled with that like you know it's sort of it's such a hard after putting on the brakes for your whole life and and feeling guilty when you screw up to all of a sudden be like this is okay now it's good it's beautiful yeah because we it's such a taboo subject yeah. yeah so yeah no thank you thank you for answering and actually doing that so yeah, no problem my pleasure. Um, all right, what was the So, what would be uh, one of your struggles as as a person in pastoral ministry? What's something you find challenging? Oh, uh, I don't know. Lots of stuff. I, I uh, all the struggles that a normal normal quote unquote normal person has. Yeah. Uh, I I think. Um, I'm a person who has always struggled to pray. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's not something that comes naturally to me. And thankfully, God's given me a wife who's really good at praying and prays a lot and has brought me alongside her in that, which is really interesting. You know, do you talk about this idea of men being the head of the household and, and discipling their wives? But that goes both ways for sure. You know, and I have a wife who's a very strong spiritual woman, but also um, lets me lead and, mm-hmm. and kind of nudges me along the lead sometimes, which... So I, I don't want, yeah, I think we need to be careful exactly what we're talking about when we're talking about roles in the, the yeah. household. But anyway, back to the question. Um, <laughs> yeah, prayer has been a hard one for me. And I think I think what's great about being a pastor is that you, 
are forced into situations where you're praying all the mm-hmm. time. Like I go to two prayer meetings a week because I have to, it's part of my job. Uh, and I also pray with our staff every week. Uh, we have staff meeting and prayer and just like, you just, you just do a lot of prayer with people. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we've built some stuff into our lives. Becky and I have to help us pray, but I still find praying just by myself, getting along with God and praying hard. Um, but I think God's helping me to grow in that. Um, it's so important in ministry because I could be a, a good preacher and really good at explaining the Bible and really engaging and really good at leading and really good at reaching out and really good at planning stuff. But if I'm doing it on my own strength and it's not God providing mm-hmm. the making things happen, then it's, it's worthless, right? Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter. It's not going to do what God wants it to do. So I think that's probably my biggest struggle. Um, yeah. I also struggle with patience. I struggle with, purity I struggle with arrogance I struggle with laziness uh, there's a lot of sins that I struggle with and God's helped me to be more holy and praise praise God for that praise God and thank you for actually allowing yourself to be vulnerable and answering that sure um, what's some of the ways you see the Lord at work in Canada because it's so easy for us to focus on oh we're doing all this crap we're doing all this crap we're hell in a handbasket which I don't understand how that became an expression I don't know what but, that means. Yeah, that's a good question. Yeah. Um, and I definitely said that very weird. I had a tickle in my throat. It's okay. um, my allergies are bothering me, so I've snorted a few times on this recording. <laughs> uh, yeah, so what's what's some of the ways you see uh, God at work? Yeah, I, I probably am not as plugged into the wider Canada picture as I could or should be. Um, I do see God at work in Toronto... Um, and probably across Ontario and a few pastors that I know, um, there's a, a young generation of, of pastors uh, and Christians that are coming up and that are dissatisfied with the way the church has been. Um, and, and I mean, that's always been the case, right? But like in my lifetime, there was the, the church growth movement. Mm-hmm. And then there was out of that, they're like, oh, this has become like a, a marketing scheme that became the emergent church movement, which is all about community and kind of sacrifice theology. And then out of that came sort of uh, this this sort of desire to do church biblically and, mm-hmm. and, and live biblically and, and understand the truth of the Bible. Um, and that's the been really... emerging. Because <laughs> yeah. at the same time, there was the emergent. And well, yeah, that's a, that's a Driscoll. Yeah. He used to yeah. talk about that when yeah. he was when he was big um, just to toss in that joke yeah yeah but no like I, mean, I guess I was just listening to yeah. the podcast by um, T- uh, Tim Challies this morning and he was talking about this but the idea of there's been a kind of resurgence of young pastors and young Christians that really want to take God's word seriously across North America um, and I've seen that in Toronto I've seen um, Toronto's a, a really funny uh, or interesting situation because the houses are so expensive here that every, every church basically when they need a new pastor they want somebody who's like 40 or 50 with 30 years of pastoring experience and some kids um, but nobody's going to move to Toronto with that stage of life because they can't afford it yeah. and, uh, and so there's a lot of churches in, in the city that I know of that are taking younger pastors who've grown up here and going to school at Toronto Baptist Seminary or Heritage um, and these guys are just love God and love his love Christ, loves Christ's church and, and want to see it grow. And I've been really encouraged to see um, 
God sort of orchestrating things so that young young pastors can do some cool things in Toronto, uh, and so that these new generations can kind of come in and um, be excited about the Bible and be mm-hmm. excited about reaching people with the truth of the gospel. Um, I also think one of the things that's, that's cool right now is this whole Arab Spring um, refugee crisis has this is more of a world thing than Canada thing but it is happening in Canada too because of our refugees mm-hmm. like so many Muslims have turned to Christ like more Muslims have turned to Christ apparently in the last 10 years than in the thousands of years of their history or 1700 years of their history or whatever Praise God. That, whatever the I guess they came about in 700 or so so anyway whatever that time is like you know I have a friend who is from Lebanon who does ministry with refugees there and and here and just the stats are sort of staggering right now so God is working in the world to these really hard things and and that's pretty cool that is that's awesome um all right so final question is what would you say to someone who is thinking about uh pursuing youth or pastoral ministry as a vocation yeah uh youth is a youth pastoral yeah that's yeah right. yeah youth pastor or and then i'm thinking or like a position you're in now that's yeah. kind of like the head pastor uh i would say if it's a young person like a high school student or a university student i would say um make sure that you are growing in your faith right now mm-hmm. that you're walking with god you're reading your bible you're working towards purity and mm-hmm. you're viewing habits and in your relationships uh, because it's not something you just turn on when you get a job. No. Uh, and it's something that I have struggled with and did struggle with for a long time. Uh, and and you need to start working on that now. Uh, I would also say go to Bible college if you haven't. Um, or if you've already done your degree, go get a, a master's degree at seminary. Um, because you learn and you grow a lot through that. And if you you're expected to be teaching people um, God's word and you haven't learned the theology or even just the Bible study skills or how to preach, uh, you need to do that. Um, and I would say pray a lot about it. I would say, this is really important, um, talk to older Christians and other Christians and ask, ask them what they see as your spiritual gifts and as your, um, if they think that you're cut out for it. Christians that are mature that you respect and ask them what they think about the idea. And... Um, if everyone's just like, no, man, that's not you, uh, that might give you a reason to, to think about that a little harder. Um, I think one of the things that really helped me was having my youth pastor and others say, yeah, we think you can do a good job with this. I also say get involved in your church um, right now. Go find a ministry to be involved with, disciple people, and uh, help and take whatever little job they'll give you uh, to do and figure out where you're gifted and serve faithfully and God will honor that and yeah just work towards your goal awesome thank you so much Steve for taking the time and uh, finally finally we got to do this and it was a blast and I hope you all enjoyed and uh, if you get the chance feel free to feel free to share this like it post it Um, hope you all enjoyed have a great day and God bless friends take care bye Thank <laughs> you.